Thank you, Mel, for that devotional and reminding us of humility. Um, there's a lot that goes into that facet of life. Um, well, we won't, we won't elaborate on that. I think Mel pointed out several scriptures there to us in that way. We, we thank God for that. And so this morning, we are glad that you are all here. And as we worship today, um, the message that has been laid upon my heart uh, is sort of the opposite of humility. Um, but I believe there's a, a very good lesson in this for us. And um, so before we begin, <clears throat> if you were... Um, if you had been standing on the British coast back in 1845, you may have seen about 138 of England's finest sailors um, sail for the Arctic. To chart the Northwest Passage around the Canadian Arctic to the Pacific Ocean. And the captain of those sailors, Sir John Franklin, hoped this effort would be the turning point in Arctic exploration. History shows us that it was not because of its success, but its failure. Neither ship ever returned. Every crew member perished. And those who followed the expedition's path to the pole learned this lesson. If you're going to take such a journey, prepare for it. You know, life is a journey. Life is a journey. Heaven is our destination, and we need to prepare for it. Apparently, Franklin didn't prepare. Though the voyage was projected to take or to last two to three years, he only carried a 12-day coal supply for the auxiliary steam engines. But what he lacked in fuel, he made up for in entertainment. His mind was on other things other than preparing for his journey. Each ship had more than 1,200 books, a hand organ, china place settings for officers and men, expensive wine goblets, sterling silver flatware, and the list goes on and on and on. Everything to the finest detail. And you got to wonder, was the crew planning for an Arctic expedition or a Caribbean cruise? Judging from the supplies, one would have thought the latter. The sailors carried no special clothing to protect them against the cold. Their uniforms looked noble and respectful, but they were woefully inadequate for the task. Eventually, the ornate silver knives, forks, and spoons would be found near a clump of frozen cannibalized bodies. It seems strange how men could embark on such an ill-prepared journey, seemingly more equipped for afternoon tea than the open sea. Stranger still, how ill-prepared the vast majority of Christians seem to be for their journey in life. That's sad, but I believe this morning there are many who are not prepared 
for heaven as they should be. If we do not take advantage of the Bible, the Word of God, the detailed instructions on how to live, we will find ourselves in dire straits. There will not be time to absorb a lifetime of learning from the Bible when trouble comes. When God says it's enough, it's enough. His word is our map. His spirit is our compass. And if we ignore the years of training, we should not be surprised at the disaster that follows. This morning, we're going to look at a scripture in the Old Testament that talks about a man by the name of Ahab. Remember the account in 1 Kings 21. Ahab and what was his wife's name? Jezebel. Jezebel. How many of you have ever heard the, the, the comment or the saying, they must have or he must have the Jezebel spirit? Yeah, well, that's what we want to look at this morning, and that's what we'll talk about. This account in 1 Kings 21 talks about a man named Ahab who went to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and he spake unto him, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs. Give me thy vineyard. You know, Ahab and Jezebel were two of the most wicked leaders in Israel history. Terrible, terrible things. Jezebel ranks as the most evil woman in the Bible. In fact, the Bible uses her name as an example of people who completely reject God. In Revelations and even like I just said, we hear the quote or the comment, That's the Jezebel spirit. She was determined to make all Israel worship her gods. And so to Elijah, it seemed she had succeeded as he was looking in. He felt he was the only one still left, still faithful to God, until God told him there were still 7,000 who uh, had not turned from the faith. You know, Jezebel held great power. And she not only managed her husband and kept him in under her thumbs control, but she also had 850 assorted pagan priests under her control. She was very evil, very wicked. And when Naboth refused to sell his vineyard, what did she do? She ruthlessly had Naboth killed and took ownership of the land. Very sad situation. And it was land that was, as Nabal said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. It was land that had been given to the family. And it was to stay in the family lineage. And here comes Ahab and wanted to take it away from him. And when Naboth said that he wouldn't sell. What did Ahab do? The Bible tells us here in verse 4 that he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and wouldn't eat no bread. He 
began pouting and carrying on like a little child because he couldn't have the land. And so Jezebel's plan to wipe out worship of God in Israel led to painful consequences. Before she died, Jezebel suffered the loss of her husband in combat and her son at the hand of Jehu, who took the throne by force. And then we're going to look at here even the very thing of how that Jezebel died, a very defiant and scornful way that she had lived. And you know, when comparing Jezebel and Elijah, Elijah, we have to admire each one's strength of commitment. Jezebel's strength was to, to uh, you know, all the, in the evil, evil direction. Elijah um, was to, his commitment was to the Lord. You know, the big difference was to whom they were committed. Jezebel was committed to herself and herself only and her false gods. You know what I'm afraid this morning? That there are many, many who are very selfish and committed to themselves and themselves only, just as Jezebel was. Elijah was totally committed to the one true God. To what or to whom are you most committed? How would God evaluate your commitment this morning? I'd like for us to think about that as we continue on here. As we get to <clears throat> chapter 21 here, uh, verse 17 through the end of the, of the chapter is actually the part that I want to want to read and maybe we'll just read those verses and the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying arise go down to meet Ahab king of Israel which is in Samaria behold he is in the vineyard of Naboth whither he has gone down to possess it thou shalt speak unto him saying thus saith the Lord hast thou killed and also taken possession and thou shalt speak unto him saying thus saith the Lord in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick thy blood even thine. Can you imagine? And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pissed against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of ba- Baasha, the son of Hiazah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dogs shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. 
And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. <clears throat> but we can see here the events of which we just read um, took place some five to six years after the events on Mount Horeb. And in that interim, Elijah had not been heard from or seen in the life and affairs of Israel. He kind of just like disappeared. Perhaps his time was spent training the prophet Elisha to take his place. He didn't know. Perhaps it was time wherein God allowed the prophet to rest his spirit. You know, there came a time when men would have to take a spiritual rest. And so perhaps it was time when God allowed him... Uh, the prophet to rest his spirit, his mind, and his body. Whatever the reason, it seems that there is a five or six year span in Elijah's life when he is on the shelf and not being used by the Lord, at least in a public way. But here, all of a sudden, he appears in the garden where Ahab is at, or uh, yeah, Ahab, and tells him of the wicked things that he had that he was that he was doing. And I believe this morning that there's a, there's a lesson for us in all this. Let's not despise the times when God pulls us from the public eye and closes up uh, with himself. It may not be pleasing to the flesh and the eagle, but it is a time when God has chosen to reform us and to mold us more perfectly into the image of his son. You know, we don't always have to be in the public limelight. You know, there's a time when we need to just sit back and rest and take a spiritual Sabbath. Now Elijah's back here in verse, or chapter 21, verse 17, and we see him carrying out the will of the Lord. We can see that Elijah is still the faithful man of God. And we want to notice three elements of this text that demonstrate the faithfulness of Elijah and the power and the purpose of God as we consider the thought when God says, that's enough. And here, he, he, he simply, in, in as many words, that's what he says to the, to the, to the situation here with Jezebel, um, Ahab and Jezebel. There came a point when God said, that was enough. I'm, I'm cutting it off. I'm stopping it. Well, as we look at verse 17 and 18, God's mission declared and the comfort of it. God's word, which came to Elijah, brought with it a, a twofold comfort. God's grace in the situation. Perhaps Elijah thought that he had served the Lord for the last time. Perhaps he thought that his last days on earth would be spent preparing Elisha for the tasks that lay ahead in his ministry. Perhaps he thought that he would be remembered as Elijah. Uh, the has been, but the word of God come, did come to the man of God again. God still had a plan for this man's life, and he intended to use him again for his glory. <clears throat> and so as you and I travel through this world, there will be times when it seems that the Lord has finished with us. I'm sure you've all experienced that. You've all 
had those moments or those times when, you know, Lord, where, where am I to go from here? What am I to do? It seems that we've all been put on the shelf and that we have lost our effectiveness and usefulness to the Lord. We may be in that position because of some sin or we have allowed to enter in our lives or it may be that God is just setting us aside for time to prepare us for something even greater. Whatever the reason, you find yourself set aside, do not despair. Use the time wisely. There will come a day when the master will pass by the shelf he has you sitting on. He will take you down and put you back in the fight for the glory of the Lord. God hasn't forgotten about you. You may think the Lord forgot about you. I would imagine that Jonah thought he had preached his last message as he lay in the belly of the well. He was wrong. God had a plan for him. God had a plan for Jonah. And when the time came that God caused that well to spit him up on the land, what did he tell him to do? To go to Nineveh to preach to those people. And he went. Peter thought he was washed up as a disciple when he denied Jesus at the Roman fire. When he was standing outside, when Jesus was inside being criticized, critiqued, and condemned. What did Peter do? He denied his Lord. The Bible says three times. But he was wrong as well. God had a great work for Peter in store. John Mark thought that he would never be trusted by the apostles after he abandoned Paul and Barnabas on the mission field. He was wrong as well. And even David probably thought that he would never shout and sing again after what he did with Bathsheba. The horrible, horrible crime, the sin that he committed there with Bathsheba. But he was wrong. God had a plan for him. And friend, if you think you were washed up this morning because of some sin or circumstance in your life, you were wrong to you. God has a plan for us. And I believe this morning God has and will do great things. We serve the God of second chance. God's grasp of the situation. God's words to the prophet let him know that the Lord is on top of the situation. God knows where Ahab is and what Ahab has been doing. He knew the intents of his heart. Surely it brought comfort to the man of God to know that this God, his God was in control. I just want to remind each of us this morning that God is in control of your situation as well. No matter what you're facing, what you're going through, what you may have to face tomorrow or this next week, I don't know. You know, God, each one of us is writing a story. But I believe where our commitment's at and who that we're serving and what we stand on makes a difference. He is aware of what you're facing in life. Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Well, then we have the cause of it. The reason God sends Elijah with his message of death and destruction is because of the events in the first 16 verses of chapter 21. But we kind of alluded to the very first part. 
And in these verses, Ahab and Jezebel have committed some horrible sins in that they have perverted the law of God. Put an innocent man to death, bribed false witness to lie against him, and they have taken that which belonged to the dead man for themselves. God didn't like that. And he brought a very, very serious consequences to them. The awful way that they died. Notice here, as we read, I will bring evil upon thee in verse 21 and will take away thy posterity and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel. I'll make thine house like the house of Jeroboam. In verse 23, he says, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel, the very place where she was holding herself up. And that evil spirit that wanted to control the whole nation of Israel, God caused her to die right there, and the dogs ate her up. What a horrible way to die. And that's what happens when we when we lean that way and when we go that way with that Jezebel spirit, that proud and haughty and, and lifted up spirit, not a humble one as Mel talked about this morning in our devotions. Verse 24 says, Him that dieth of Ahab is in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. The very, and even, even, um, Ahab, it was, it was said here that, that uh, the dog shall lick his blood on the same place where Jezebel died. <clears throat> yes. They have earned a judgment sentence from the Lord. The Lord said it was enough. The content of it, God's message to this wayward pair is direct and plain there will be no misunderstanding that which the lord is trying to say to them there are two basic divisions in god's message we have number one the sin number two the sentence and that's basically what you and i are facing today if there's sin in our life there's a sentence coming god knew what Ahab had done he knew the extent of it and he knew the vileness of it Nothing got by the gaze of God. And many people today, I'm sad to say, think that God is not watching or not looking or doesn't see them. And and they do things in the dark and they do things behind closed doors and they do things, you know, very corrupt things. I think we all know what I'm talking about here this morning, even in our community. Even, even uh, you know, the place where I work, talking to some of those guys, you know, it's not just here, it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's all around us. Evil's running rampant. God knows everything there is to know about us. <clears throat> Proverbs 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And then the sentence, For Ahab's sin... There can be but one sentence, and that was death. This man is guilty of murder. He's guilty of theft. 
He's guilty of deception. He's guilty of idolatry and every form of wickedness and evil that there was. The list goes on and on. That's what he was guilty of. And God said, that's enough. I'm bringing it to an end. You know, and I have to think this morning, the things that are taking place and, and, and how that our communities are, are, you know, all the things that we're meddling in and, and involved in, when is God going to say that's enough? I don't know, but I believe the time is very near. There will come a time when God says, that's enough. He may allow man to wander in sin for a season, but the day will come when the hammer of God's judgment will fall. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let's be faithful. Let's be committed to the true God. Not the Jezebel spirit or the evil spirit, but to the God of the universe. Numbers 32, 23 says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And then the ending of that verse says, Be sure your sin will find you out. The wheels of God's judgment may grind slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. Yes. You know, there was a certain man wanted to sell his house in Haiti for $2,000. Another man wanted to buy it. But because he was poor, he couldn't afford the full price. After much bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the house for half the original price with just one stipulation. He would retain ownership of one small nail protruding from just over the doorway. You think? He still owned that nail. One nail. Kind of weird, isn't it? But after several years, the original owner wanted the house back. But the new owner was unwilling to sell. So what did the first owner do? He went out, found the carcass of a dead dog, and hung it from the single nail that he still owned. Soon the house became unlivable and the family was forced to sell the house to the owner of the nail. The moral of the parable is, if we leave the devil with one small peg in our life, he will return to hang his rotting garbage on it, making it unfit for Christ's habitation. And so, when Elijah receives his new call, what does he do? He wastes no time. But he sets out to do the bidding of the Lord as he goes to the garden. He goes directly to Nabal's vineyard where he finds Ahab enjoying his um, ill-gotten gains. When he arrives, he faithfully and forcefully delivers the message of God. First of all, the challenge in verse 20 <clears throat> where he says, Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me? Oh, mine enemy. And he answered, I have found thee. When these two men meet, the first to speak is Ahab. He sees Elijah approaching and calls him his enemy. We see here, Elijah was in fact the best friend Ahab had. How so? Because Elijah tried his best to teach Ahab the proper way to live his life. 
He tried to teach him and to teach him and to teach him. And he wouldn't listen. Or he couldn't listen because he was under the authority of his wife with that Jezebel spirit. And Ahab couldn't do as he wanted to do. I don't know. The Bible really doesn't say. But he, he uh, it says there he, he was taught. He tried repeatedly to point him in the right direction. You know, and so it is today. You know, there are individuals, there are people in our lives, our, our families, who you have been able to tell and to talk to and to, to witness to and to testify to and, you know, show them the word of God, tell them the word. But they repeatedly, repeatedly um, go the opposite direction. <clears throat> Well, Ahab wanted to find his room and needed to, an, an enemy. He needed to look no further than the woman he called his wife. She was the source of his trouble, not Elijah. The Word of God tells us that much of what Ahab did was because he listened to his wife. In verse 25, she was a vile and wicked woman. These are the events that repeat themselves all the time. The man who tells you the truth is not your enemy, but is your friend. And so then we have the confrontation. We not only have the challenge, but the confrontation that Elijah had with Ahab. The man of God pulls no punches, but he lets Ahab know that his sins have been exposed. Remember the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Reminds me this morning of the time of Nathan, or King David. Or Nathan, when he came to King David and said, what did he say? Thou art the man. When he committed that horrible sin with Bathsheba. I'm sure Ahab had already rationalized the events with Nabal the way by saying, well, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with it. I was in the palace minding my business when Jezebel, my wife, came and told me that Naboth was dead. If she had, had had a hand in it, well, that's just too bad. But it isn't my fault. Well, it was. It exposed the fact that Ahab is at the center of the blame for all that was taking place. Naboth is dead because Ahab was covetous. Naboth is dead because Ahab had no control over his wife. Naboth is dead because Ahab turned a blind eye to that which was right. Naboth is dead because Ahab had no regard for the clear word of God. And Naboth is dead because Ahab is sold under sin. And when Elijah uses the word sold, it is an interesting play on words. In other words, this is a word that means a habitual lifestyle given over to something. Sold. Given over to something. It can also mean to marry. Not only has Ahab manifested wickedness in his, his life day by day, but he had also married wickedness when he took Jezebel to be his wife. What an evil woman. When will men ever learn that they are not hiding anything from God? You often wonder, don't you? Can't you? I mean, when are you going to wake up? He sees everything we do. He knows the motives behind what we do. The only course of action that can bring peace and restoration is full confession. As John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28, verse 13 also says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but also uh, whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall be have mercy. Yes, the condemnation. We always had the challenge, the confrontation, but also the condemnation. In these next few verses, 21 through 26, we see where Elijah delivers the terms of God's judgment to Ahab. He tells him in no uncertain terms just what is going to happen to him, <coughs> his family, and his kingdom because of his sins. Even to the point, verse 25, but there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. Yes, it was personal. There was no mistaking the fact that the hammer of God about to fall in the life of Ahab and his family. Things were going to get worse. It was perpetual, ongoing, never quitting, always continuous. Ahab is told that even his children will suffer because of his sins. Children and to their children, to their children. This is one of the worst consequences of allowing sin to fester in our homes and hearts. We need to denounce it. Our children learn from our wickedness and often they will adopt our evil ways. They, they see and watch and, and you don't even have to tell them anything. They can tell what you're doing. It was plain. Uh, plain. And so what can we learn from these events? First of all, that God is a long-suffering God who gives men plenty of opportunities to repent, doesn't he? He's long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. Second, there will come a day when the opportunities will run out and there's nothing left but the judgment of God. Third, when judgment comes because of sin, it is certain, it is swift, and it is just. The best course of action for us this morning is to examine our hearts and see if we have sin there that are hindering our walk with God and are inviting his judgment to fall upon us. We don't want to get to the point where we have to hear those words from God. That's enough. But I believe the time is coming when that will be. <clears throat> The following conversation was heard between an old farmer in the country and the, a, new, a new person, another, another individual. Question was, do you belong to the Christian family? Asked the minister. No, they live two farms down the road, replied the farmer. No, 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 I, I mean, are you lost? Oh, no, lost? No, why? I've lived here for 30 years. I mean, are you ready for Judgment Day? Well, when is it, asked the farmer. Well, it could be today or tomorrow. Well, said the farmer, when you find out for sure when it is, let me know. My wife will probably want to go to both days. <laughs> it's kind of humorous, but that's many times how individuals and people re, re, uh, view judgment. Verse 27, God's mercy dispensed and Ahab's repentance. 
You know, when he hears the sentence that is handed down by Elijah, he knows that he has run out of chances. He knows that he must repent or perish. Repentance is one of those words that doesn't get a lot of airtime in our modern world, does it? Nobody talks about it. The idea of repentance refers to a change of mind that results in a change of action. It's the best pictured by someone who is going in one direction and then suddenly make a 180 degree turn and go the other direction. That's repentance. The Bible is clear when it says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3 to 5, it also says, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent in Acts 17. Ahab's respite. Because Ahab repents, God lets Elijah know that he is going to show Ahab mercy. Judgment is still coming, but it will be held off until after Ahab's death. It was a wicked king. It was that wicked king named Ahab. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Was Ahab sincere? It appears that he was at this time. But later in his life he fell into sin again. However, he learned the truth that repentance turns away the wrath of God. Friends, the same is true today. You and I can do as we please. We can live in sin. We can play around with things of God. We can live below His standards for our lives. But if we do, let us not complain when the Lord judges our lives, when He says, that's enough. May we accept our just punishment with grace. Sin will blind you to its consequences. It will bind you in its power and it will grind you to powder. Is that really what we want? And so the question this morning is to us, is God about to say that's enough to something in your life? Just as he did to Jezebel and Ahab. Have we been deceived into thinking that there will be never be a payday for our sins? I trust we don't think that way. Is there some little sin closeted away in your life that needs to be brought out into the open? If the Lord has dealt with your heart today about some sin or some need in your life, I challenge you to bring it, that need to the Lord. Bring your sin before Him. Don't let Don't wait until it's too late. God will bring about judgment. And I believe judgment day is coming. And it's very close. It's very close. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for this scripture in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings, the account of Jezebel and Ahab, And we know, Lord, this morning that there are many, many lessons that we can take from this. But I believe this morning, Lord, that you want us to see that our 
covetousness, our jealousy, and our pride, and our desire for more and more and more, as it was for Ahab and Jezebel, there are consequences to those desires. There are consequences to that lifestyle. And so we pray, Father, help each of us to be committed to you, O God, and be committed to you in such a way that we cast off and put off those desires and walk in humbleness before you, Lord. So I pray just be with us as we go through the remainder of this day, through this service, even through our Sunday school hour. I pray, Father, for your anointing to rest upon each one as we share together in that way. May you and you alone be praised, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Just open it up if there's any.